The Honest Money Podcast is powered by 10x Investments, a licensed financial services provider. Consult with your financial advisor and let's 10x your future together. Welcome to Honest Money. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited today uh, to, to have a new guest on the on the show, um, and and I need him today because we're going to be talking about uh, a very big topic, and it's 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 basically the biggest stock market in the world. Uh, but before we get into the into the topic, I just want to introduce Anton Azer. He is the Chief Investment Officer at 10X Investments. Anton, thanks so much for braving the the, the podcast. Thanks, Warren. Great to be on. Um, so, so we're talking about the U.S. stock market today, and and the reason we're talking about it is uh, it's it's for a long time been the biggest driver of growth in in world stock markets. Uh, you know, there was a time when when China was really helping the story for a little while, but uh, but pretty much I, I feel almost since the 1950s, uh, if 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 the U.S. is is doing well, then uh, it seems to lift a lot of the other markets around the world. So, so it is a big, uh, it, it is a big market and a big factor in everything that we do. So, whether you're sitting in, you know, South Africa or uh, you know, in Iceland, uh, the, the U.S. market is is uh, is important to you. Uh, and, and I think it's been, a, uh, in, especially in the last couple of years, Anton, it seems to be the thing that's really lifted markets up. Uh, and and you know the, now conditions are changing and and so I thought you know at the at the beginning of the year it's important to have a look at uh, what what's what's the U.S. facing and and what do we look at uh, now? Yeah, Warren. I mean, it's 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 incredible, really, what's uh, what's happened in in global equity markets, and particularly U.S. equities in the last um, well, the last like you know three to four decades. I mean. Um, you know, the size of that market has, has grown exponentially um, and its kind of share of global equities has just continued to increase um, every year. And I'm sure we're going to kind of um, get into the details of how that's happened and and uh, and where that growth has come from. But I mean, I think it's useful um, to. So, so what, what I was what I what I thought we should do is really frame this much more from a um, historical perspective. And and I'm going to I'm going to throw around. If it's all right, quite a few numbers because I think it's um, it's it's important that we have um, context of, of where we are because if we have context of where we are, we, we can have some some idea as to as to where we're going. So there's not going to be any uh, any stories about um, U.S. growth or artificial intelligence or uh, the role of the Big Seven and Microsoft, etc. I'm gonna I'm gonna really try and. Um, uh, get into the numbers um, um, quite a bit as we go through understanding where where, where we're going, um, and I think that uh, that kind of frames us kind of usefully in terms of of where we are right now. Um, so, should I get into that? Please do. Let's kick it off. Let's get going. Great. Okay. So, so firstly, I mean, just looking back, let's look at the last ten years. You mentioned uh, how well how well that market's done. Uh, real return in the S and P five hundred, which are the five hundred largest companies in the US. Has been just over nine percent, so nine point two percent real returns. That's a nominal return over inflation um, over that last ten over that last ten years. If you take it back further, you take it back into the late eighties. So you know the last um, thirty three, thirty four years, um, real returns there. You know, excluding dividends, five and a half. You add dividends, you get to something like seven and a half, eight percent. So it's really been an incredible. Um, you know, three and a half decades or so of of if you've owned U.S. equities and put it in the bottom drawer and 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 lived through that through that return, and eighty nine actually is a very useful um, reference point for the, for those of you who follow 
um, U.S. monetary policy, you'll, you'll be aware that's when uh, Alan Greenspan took over the, the, the Federal Reserve back in the late 80s. And um, yeah, on the back of that, we've kind of been through you know, three and a half decades of a very different monetary system in the U.S. And we'll unpack that a little bit when we, when we go to the detail. But looking back to 89, uh, and I think it's really useful to try and work out really where that um, growth um, is coming from. And, and we've kind of looked into this in, in, in quite a lot of detail. So, you know, if you look at that number, so the 5.5% number that I mentioned, real earnings growth um, in, in the U.S. in terms of S&P 500 companies has been around 3.8%. Okay, so if we look at the 5.5% at the number, 3.8% of that comes from earnings. And then the remaining portion comes from um, a change in the valuation multiple. So what you're now willing to pay for future earnings um, from a set of companies, that's your multiple of, of, of earnings that you're paying to, to own stocks. So 3.8% from earnings and five point, and the remaining portion, the 1.7 coming from a change in valuation. So I think what, we, what I'd be quite keen to do is unpack you know, what, where we are now in the context of valuations and where we are now in the context of earnings relative to the last um, um, 35, 35 years. Because from that, we can get a feeling as to where, where we're going to be um, going, going forward. Um, so there's two things to kind of point out. Firstly, um, and this is something which I think would surprise a, a lot of listeners, because when we think about the U.S. in the last you know, 35 years, we've gone through you know, massive transformation in technology. I think you know, back in the late 80s was the beginning of the Internet, and obviously, we've, we've fundamentally changed the way companies are run, how we live, how we communicate, and, and just this, this massive, massive change in, in, um, in corporate America and, and, and how we consume. But when you kind of untangle that 3.8%, um, US GDP is going at 2.5%. And fascinatingly wise, S&P 500 companies at top line sales, right, after inflation has been 1.9%. <laughs> so... You know, in an in a incredible three and a half decades or so, we've actually only had, we've had below 2% growth in, um, in sales across the 500 largest companies um, in the U.S. So the difference between that sales number and that, that number I mentioned, the 3.8%, there's been a bit of a margin improvement. But the biggest difference has been is two factors. Firstly, is a massive reduction in interest costs. Um, we went from a world of, of interest rates, you know, um, uh, 7 8%, 9%, depending if you're corporate or the government, to a world in the end of 2019, 2020, where you were funding at 1%, 2%. And um, that kind of drop in interest costs has been a big factor. And the second factor, which is kind of less known, has been the massive drop in tax rates in the U.S. So the effects of tax rates um, in, in the U.S. went from 34% in 89 to 15% in 2019. The, the, the headline tax rate is about 21% in the US, but the effective tax rate of 15%. So those two factors, interest, just simply a reduction in interest costs and a, redu and a reduction in taxes, has, led to, is, has contributed to 40% of the earnings growth in US corporates in the last, in the last 35 years. It's been a, it's been a massive um, tailwind for earnings growth um, across the U.S. over the last three and a half, de three and a half decades. So, uh, Anton, and I'd like so to just, uh, yeah. uh, sorry, Anton, just, just to stay there for a second. So, so uh, it, it's a bit like the, the, so the whole economy in America has grown faster than, than the businesses are growing, basically their revenue. Uh, 
and uh, but, but their profits growing faster than everything. Uh, and what you're saying now is that the, the, the profits growing uh, b- b- partly because of of, a, of of help from government. They they're cutting t- uh, tax. Uh, that, that's nice. I, I hope the South African government listens. Uh, and 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 then secondly, a huge change in the interest rate environment. Uh, and and uh, so so that and you're saying that's forty percent of the reason why the profits have been growing. Yeah, forty percent. So if you look at earnings before interest and tax, it's grown at two point two percent, which is below US GDP growth of of two and a half percent over that thirty three year that that thirty two year period that I that I mentioned. So yeah, it, it's it's a it's been a huge um, contributor to um, um, you know the the returns you've seen in 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 US equities. Um, but the the so that's the first factor. That's the kind of the earnings piece, and we'll kind of look at that in terms of what it means, you know, um, from from here on. But the second factor is this multiple um, I mentioned, and just you know, just just to kind of really go into the basics here. When we talk about a multiple, let's let's just kind of um, you know really simplify that and 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 kind of just for 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 your listeners, just understand really what a multiple is saying. It's simply saying that right. What is the price I'm willing to pay for a company now? Um, based on my expectation around earnings. So, you know, simplistically, companies making um, $100 and you have a, uh, a multiple of 30, you know, you, you're, you're happy to pay $3,000 to own that company because you believe that the $100 is going to grow at a certain rate to validate the $3,000 you're paying for that company now. So, you know, your multiple changes all the time. That's what markets effectively are doing. They, they are repricing um, risk based on what they believe the value is of, that, uh, of, those, of those future earnings. And so if you kind of break down the valuation of a, of a market in, the kind of its, you know, in its entirety, it's a function of you know, current earnings, expectation of earnings, and you know, hence the multiple you're willing to pay for those earnings into the future. And the the, the 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 critical factor there is when you is, is when you look at running what your future earnings are, you discount those earnings to today, right? And you have to use the discount rate to apply to those earnings. And the discount rate you use is the you know the risk free rate. You might you, may, you will apply maybe some kind of a uh, spread premium to that, but you discount that at the risk free rate. So that uh, the US the US Treasury rate. So as I mentioned earlier, with rates you know dropping by. Six percent in this observation period that I've mentioned from '89 to um, you know, the end of 2019 to 2020, is the discount rate dropped by six percent in real terms? You know, dropped substantially, and that meant that you were discounting future earnings at a lot more attractive risk-free rate. And very interestingly, this is actually a Fed paper which was produced, Federal Reserve paper produced last year, is 100 percent. So all of the change in the valuation multiple from the end of 89 to the end of 2019 is attributed to the, dis- the reduction in the discount rate. Crazy. So, you know, you've had this significant drop in interest rates. It's led to a significant drop in the um, uh, interest costs for, for, for companies. It's also led to a significant drop in the discount rate that you apply to, to um, owning those equities, and you've had a massive reduction in taxes. And those, those, well, those two factors, interest rates going down, taxes going down, can explain the vast majority of returns um, in the U.S. when you break down the EBIT growth of 
2.2% relative to a real return growth of closer to closer to six. So it's a when you just really go into those numbers, no stories, nothing around internet boom or around globalization or around um, uh, you know productivity gains in terms of the labor force. If you just look at the numbers, that's those have really been the two um, massive factors which have kind of led to such a fantastic return in the U.S. equity market. And and just to I mean just to explain the the, the maybe not where you're going with but, but but the importance of this is you know it's easy for a CEO of a company to to sell us a story about how amazing they are and and if they do that collectively we all get caught up in a trap of you know America's amazing and it's got these fantastic businesses that are becoming increasingly productive all the time and profitability is improving and you know new technologies are changing everything. Uh, and and what the numbers are saying is that that's all good and well, but what really drives markets and what really drives the the price of your investments, because that's what this is ultimately about, is those two factors: tax rates, interest rates. Uh, and and so I'm I'm starting to get a hint of what you're where, where you're leading us now, because because the world's changed in the last couple of years around interest rates, may, maybe not tax rates, uh, and. And, and then just one one kind of thing to just to talk through. So when we talk about when you talk about a risk free rate, so so in South Africa, for example, uh, you, you know that could be the repo rate or, or the interest rate that you would get from a, a a good government bond. In the US, it's the same thing. It would have been you know in in long time ago, as you're saying, it would have been uh, you know eight percent or six percent, and then all of a sudden it was very close to to almost zero for a while, and. And then, and you've you've purposely done it to twenty twenty because because then the world changed. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the the uh, the discussion around the SA equity market is a fantastic one for us to have at another time because, in a sense, it's actually the opposite has happened because that discount rate has actually gone up substantially. Real rates have increased here, so hence that valuation multiple in this country actually has detracted from returns over the last ten years. But that's obviously. A conversation for another another podcast, but yeah, just in terms of um, as you left the question, the, the 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 interesting point is really what's happened in the last in the last couple of years. Because as we went into COVID and through two thousand and twenty, you know, we had massive real rates which went negative in the US. They've been negative for a number of years. We, you know, I think we went to ten year treasuries at fifty basis points at uh, one point at the worst time in COVID. But we had been up until end of two thousand and nineteen, really almost since the financial crisis with negative a negative real rate which means you're discounting your future earnings at a negative rate which is obviously fantastic for your current valuation and what happened um obviously so we had 2020 uh, we had the inflation scare in in in, in beginning in 2021 the, the the central bank there was you know you know far behind the curve started increasing rates as we know in may um in may 2022 and have been through this cycle where they've increased you know um Increase uh, the Fed funds rate by you know five you know over five percent over the, over that period from the middle of um, from the middle of twenty twenty one, sorry twenty twenty two, and really what happened there that that's that's um, so we went into twenty twenty two with a, a multiple. This is this this is this multiple which I reference. We like the the Cape multiple, which kind of smooths out um, ten year earnings rather than taking the the current or some kind of a forecast, which is the next twelve months. So what's called the cyclical adjusted PE. And the cyclical adjusted PE going into the end of 2021 was at, at 38. Now, just to give you a listen to some, some context, 38 is in the top one percentile of valuations. The only time we've had a higher valuation uh, was back in the 99, 2000 um, uh, tech boom, 
um, which we all know how that how that ended. And as we went through the interest rate um, hiking cycle, the markets responded in a way which was um, to reprice risk, you know, just based on the factors that we've talked about. So this multiple went from 38 to 28 at the end of 2022, still, still you know, very high relative to history. But what we saw in 2023, 2023 was a reversal. And we saw, you know, obviously U.S. equities did incredibly well last year, very much based on the, the AI hype. And that multiple went back up to back up to 33. So even though we've had um, you know, interest rates now at over five percent, I mean Treasuries have come come you know, reduced a little bit, but you know between four to five percent through throughout the course of, of last year, the multiple actually increased, um, which is counterintuitive. And when you think about the um, this, this this point I mentioned around the higher discounting rate of of, of, of future earnings. So we, we, we stand here, you know, in the, in the middle of Jan, beginning of 2024, we have a multiple, you know, around 32, 33 in, in, in U.S. equities, which is close to the, you know, it's definitely the top, uh, top um, quintile, but it's, you know, right up to the top end of the range. And um, we have, you know, um, yields relatively high. So our future discount rate is, 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 relatively, is relatively high. And now let's look forward just a little bit. Let's kind of tell us what it's, that's telling us. So once again, just looking about returns, the two driving factors is valuations and, and earnings. Let's kind of just unpack earnings for a second. We talked quite a lot about the impact of interest and tax. Now, clearly, we had a high level of interest rates. All corporates are now refinancing at a higher rate. We're, they're kind of, we're 18 months into that. Taxes really can't go any lower. Fiscal deficit in the U.S. is, is, is the highest it's been outside of, a, outside of the global financial crisis and COVID. So taxes going down, I mean, you know, they are incredibly low. Interest rates were incredibly low and are going higher. So those um, two tailwinds I mentioned before, um, at least one of them is a, is a headwind, another one at best is, is neutral. So, you know, if you take those two into, into account, we take average earnings over the last 50, 60 years of 2.5%. The best you can really hope for is, you know, 2% growth in terms of earnings in the U.S. And that's a relatively optimistic view because you're not taking into account the refinancing costs. And then you apply this multiple of 33 and you take a multiple which clearly has to adjust for higher discount rates um, back to something. Let's even take the average multiple in an optimistic scenario of the last 30 years because the multiple did step up to around 23. 33 goes back to normal. You have 2% earnings growth in the U.S., at best, you're looking at a real return in the next 10 years in use equities of, of between zero and 1%. Wow. So, so it's not a prediction that you're making uh, and you're using those same fundamentals and saying, uh, you know, here we are, what, what's driven the markets for the last 35 years. If those two factors, which are not fashion, uh, not productivity or technology related, continue to be important, which, which I suspect uh, th- there will be for at least another century, uh, th- then uh, we're looking at uh, you know, an environment where if, if inflation gets down to, let's say, 3% in America, uh, th- th- then we're looking at uh, gr- growth rates of 3 or 4% uh, a-, a year, um, not above inflation, but just 3 or 4% a year from from the American stock market, and and that's the big factor in in world markets. In other words, we're not we shouldn't be sitting here expecting hugely rosy 
growth, uh, you know, 25, 30% returns a year for, for the next uh, decade. It's, it simply can't happen. You know, th- what you're talking about is, is financial gravity. It's, you know, it's, can't argue with gravity. It can, you, can, you can cheat it for a little bit, a bit of time, but not for too long. That's correct. I mean, I would say one, one point is that, is that is the U.S. market is, is kind of an exception, in particular a small number of stocks in, within their market. But, you know, you look outside of the U.S., you know, emerging markets look more attractive. Europe, a little bit more attractive. South Africa, you know, definitely. Um, so, there, you know, there are, you know, in terms of how we allocate assets, you know, there is definitely, there are areas of, of the market which look a lot more attractive on that long-term basis. Um, but, you know, as you said, the S&P 500 is, is, you know, between sixty to seventy percent of the of the total global equity markets, and it's hugely important for the, you know our perception of risk, the global economy, and all these bits and pieces. So, you know, with that type of return outlook, it, it's it's hard to get um, you know significant above you know um, you know four or five percent real returns in multi asset portfolios. It's possible, and that's obviously what we aim to do for clients. So, so Anton, I'm I'm going to start wrapping up because we're uh, we're we're completely through our time, and I'm going to give you time to think about my my favorite question to new new guests, which is, uh, if you were to meet yourself uh, um, with, with the benefit of the time and experience you've you've developed uh, over your career, and you could meet your 18 or 21 year old self, what would be the one lesson that you would like to impart to your younger self? And while you're thinking about that. Uh, you know, I think there, there are a couple of really valuable takeouts for me from from this conversation. The one is, uh, you know, a lot of the time we as investors would look at the past and and we would use that to project into the future. So if America's been the the engine of growth from a, a global uh, stock market index point of view, then and it's been certainly that for a long period of time, then it would be almost human uh, to to say, well, that must be the engine of growth for the next decade or two, and. And I think the point here is uh, when valuations are very cheap uh, uh, um, in other markets around the world and, and especially emerging markets, which have kind of really been hammered by rising interest rates in the, in the U.S., then, then you need to be careful of making really big one-direction bets. You know, in other words, putting all of your money in America uh, based on the past could, could be a really big mistake uh, for, for the next decade. Uh, so this is honest money. We've got to be honest with each other and say we, we none of us have a cooking clue what's going to happen uh, next week. Oh. But, uh, but but we can use this weighing machine of uh, of, of valuations and interest rates and and then say uh, the best antidote to to this kind of uncertainty is is proper diversification. So so number one, globally diversify. I think in equities. Number two, don't put all of your eggs into one asset class. Don't put it all into cash just because interest rates are high you know that's uh, that, that 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 never works over a decade but it might work and you might feel really clever for six months but but over a decade probably not uh, and, and so spread your assets have some in equities have some in bonds have some in cash uh, you, you know and and make sure that that adjusts for your tolerance for risk your time horizons etc but but you know a, a spread of assets is is always good uh, and and then don't get caught in the hype you know i think we we kind of watch this time and time again people get hyped up either in, in excitement or in fear you know and, and they worry about trump might come back into power and that's going to be the end of the world or whatever it is ai was going to change everything and everyone's going to lose their jobs and new jobs were going to be created and and again there'll be 
lots of reasons in the next decade uh, to be excited or fearful uh, and 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 time time tells us that if you just stay invested and you have the proper asset mix and you properly diversified and you do nothing uh, you tend to do a heck of a lot better than those people that are fundamentally really uh, active and chopping and changing their portfolios all the time so get your mix right focus on the costs of your investments make sure you've got the right mix and and then ride it out and and, and see what happens so, so Anton, uh, I've given, I've, I've, I've blabbed long enough to give you time to think about the 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 the, the, the question, uh, and and so, yeah. what, what would you do say to your younger self? So, firstly, I think the way you ended off that uh, that 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 sentences is exactly what you described in terms of the way we think about managing money, and I've described our process in in a, in a in a fantastic way. I mean, just I'm glad you gave me a few minutes to to think about it, but. I guess for me, the uh, it's kind of connected to what we've been talking about. The the the, the biggest lesson I would teach myself teach myself is a long time ago now. It's almost thirty years ago. <laughs> is not <laughs> to be obsessed about being about being right. The obsession the, the obsession with being right and winning arguments. Um, uh, I wish I had um, learned that lesson earlier on in my life. Um, Charlie Munger. Um, had this great uh, uh, perspective, which I only learned f- further on into my career, which was if you can't explain the alternative view as well as your own, then you don't have a good uh, feeling for the facts and, and, and um, spend as much of your time on understanding the alternative views as you do on your own. And so I wish I had uh, I had taught that uh, to myself um, 25, 30 years ago in terms of not only how I manage money, but how I manage my life and, uh, and all the bits and business and, and all the bits and pieces. So there we go. Well, I think it's a power lesson. I mean, if you just think about the state of the world today, we're so polarized. Yeah, we're so, uh, you know, if you're in America, you're either a Democrat or a Republican and that you can't, uh, you know, stand the other view and the other side and, you know, and, and, and right across the world in, in, in every aspect, this uh, growing intolerance and, and living in echo chambers is, is, is really scary. And I think the more of us that can learn to understand, uh, you know, the other side of a story, uh, you know, either we learn something from them, or or, or we 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 become more tolerant. I think you know uh, it's it's a great lesson. Uh, Anton Azer, Chief Investment Officer, Ten X Investments. Thanks so much for joining us. I think that was a, a really good background in terms of where we've come from, where we're going, uh, and and I love it because you know, honest money is not about uh, about jargon and about forecasts. It's about explaining fundamentals and and giving lessons, and that's what you've done for us. I appreciate you joining us. That's great. Thanks, Warren. The Stradivarius violin is considered to be the most emotive instrument in the world. That's why you'll often hear it in investment ads, adding drama and the utmost importance to their philosophies, or for the announcement of a fancy new fund manager. 10X investments don't need dramatic instruments to seem impressive. They let the results sing for themselves. So 10X your future without... the drama. 10X is a licensed FSP.